Hello, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madhvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So, Rena, what did you get obsessed with this week? Like absolutely everybody stuck in quarantine, I'm watching a lot of Netflix, and I've recently started watching Tiger King. It's about people in the U.S. who keep big cats as pets or in these private zoos. Oh yeah, this is the one that everyone is going on about right now. I haven't seen the documentary, but I've seen the meme where Donald Trump is consulting with one of his personal advisors, and his advisor is like, Mr. President, the country is going crazy, what's your plan? And Trump says, release the Tiger documentary. So it's a good distraction. Yeah. From coronavirus. So the two standout characters in the show are Carol Baskins and Joe Exotic. And Joe Exotic is probably the most flamboyant, ridiculous human you've ever seen in your life. And he wears these absolutely ridiculous get-ups. And The Cut recently did an in-depth article about all of his fashion And it sort of just got me thinking about this renaissance of sort of the cowboy aesthetic in America and what that means and where this is coming from. So I did a little bit of research into the history of cowboys. So back in the 1800s, they were Mexicans and African slaves in the U.S. Mm -hmm. What happened was that white colonizers were moving away from the East Coast into parts of America like Texas because they wanted to escape the laws of the new country and they brought with them their slaves. And obviously out there they had cattle, they had ranches, and then the Civil War happened and the white Americans all went to fight, which left the slaves to look after the cattle farms. Mm -hmm. And sort of from there it developed into a long-standing tradition, a long history, and even after the slaves were freed, they kept up this profession because, you know, it was hard, physical, demanding work. Mm -hmm. uh, They were allowed to travel. They sort of gathered this idea of cowboys being these rugged outlaws because, you know, people still had stereotypes and fears about mm-hmm. black people. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were. They were these yeah people that traveled all around the country yeah. doing odd jobs or working on these cattle farms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading about this and apparently one in four cowboys were black, which surprised me because when I think about cowboys, I think John Wayne, I think Clint Eastwood, which are just these like white, strong, silent types. Yeah, that also doesn't take into consideration other people of color who were cowboys, so that's mm-hmm. only black people. But there were also, you know, Mexicans or Native Americans who also factor into the statistics. Mm-hmm. So actually the majority of them, I guess probably one could say, weren't white. And yet mm-hmm. they've been romanticized through Hollywood to such an extent that when you think cowboy, you think of John Wayne. John Wayne. Yeah. Even though some of the most um, well-known cowboys were black. You have mm-hmm. Nat Love or you have Bill Pickett, who was one of the best rodeo stars. But he wasn't um, honored in the National Rodeo Hall of Fame until 1972, which is like 40 years after he died. Mm -hmm. So he was an international rodeo star, and they tried to just completely erase him from this tradition. Be like, Mm -hmm. no, it didn't exist. But you can still see aspects of this culture coming through and existing till today. For example, in Philadelphia, which is known as the most northern city of the South, Mm -hmm. you have the Fletcher Street Urban Writing Club, Mm -hmm. which is an all-black writing club, which has existed for hundreds of years, where they really keep this cowboy tradition alive. Mm -hmm. And Philadelphia has always been a super interesting city anyway, because 
although geographically it belonged to the Union, it mm-hmm. sort of sympathized a lot with the South because mm-hmm. it's right on the border. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first free cities, which means that it has a very high African-American population because if slaves could make it out of the South yeah. into Philly, they were free. And you can see, if you go to Philadelphia, look at their architecture, you're like, this is so Southern, mm-hmm. but you're not in the South. Right. So they really brought all those traditions with them, and they still, like, you know, they keep they keep it alive today. So Twitter user Brie Melandro coined this term, the Yeehaw Agenda. The Yeehaw Agenda is reclaiming the cowboy aesthetic, the Southern aesthetic. At the forefront of this movement in recent times mm-hmm. has been Little Nas X, who he released that song, Old Time Road. And there was huge discourse around whether Old Time Road was a country song purely based on the fact that Little Nas X is black. And it was only when Billy Ray Cyrus stepped in and like did a remix of the song that it was accepted as like a country song. And I think it won a bunch of like country awards. Mm -hmm. And that's what it took. The fact that he's like reclaiming his own culture, his own music, sort Mm -hmm. of, you know, he's from Atlanta, he's from the Mm -hmm. South, Mm -hmm. completely discarded that. They were like, no. Cowboy aesthetic is a white aesthetic, even though we know it's not true. So more and more black entertainers have been consciously making the decision to wear cowboy aesthetic as a political statement, whether it's Billy Porter wearing a cowboy hat to the Emmys, you've got Sierra posing on the cover of King Kong magazine in a cowboy hat. Mm -hmm. Lizzo has also taken part in sort of this Western aesthetic. And so... Yeah, Yeah, you, you can see that now with Cardi B and everything. But actually, I remember... Genuine Pony, for example, or even Destiny's Child or Mary J. Blige from decades ago, they were wearing cowboy hats and sort of identifying with the Southern cowboy aesthetic. So I question whether this is a movement that just started kind of now or has just been named now and has always kind of been been progressing. Well, I think that you've had entertainers who have been wearing this clothes just because it's part of their culture Mm -hmm. and obviously everything you do is political but for them it was just Beyonce for example in her music video to Formation that's like such a homage to black cowboy southern culture southern culture yes like it's an unbelievable music video an unbelievable tipping of the hat to that Mm -hmm. entire culture I remember someone made the snarky comment that that is what they were trying to do in American Horror Story, but they couldn't get it right because they didn't understand Black Southern culture. Yeah. So you have these white Hollywood types trying to profit off of a culture they don't understand. But I think that, yes, a lot of Black entertainers have been doing it for a long mm-hmm. time because it's part of their culture and it's because of what they're used to. Mm-hmm. But now people are specifically doing it as a political statement. Mm-hmm. Just be like, no this is my culture and we're taking it back. Yeah, and I guess the internet probably helps a lot with the organisation of that because the person who kind of started this agenda or this movement or named it at least, Brie Melandro. Yeah, there's a an Instagram account called the Yeehaw Agenda, we'll link to it in the show notes, which kind of just collects all of these images together it's got 14,000 followers Mm -hmm. and it makes this movement or this history visible well that's the beauty of the internet I think is that nowadays back in the 90s or back in the 2000s when we didn't have the ability to share information on a mass scale with people 
we had to be reliant on the magazines, the radio to sort of mm. bring up discourse. Mm. And, you know, it was obviously in their best favor to keep this down, to sort mm -hmm. of continue profiting off of cultural appropriation. So now that anyone can open an Instagram account and sort of exactly. gather millions of followers, it's allowing people to really take back their own narrative. So this reminds me of a really old internet obsession that I've had basically since I sort of moved to Germany and I discovered that there's this Wild West theme park in Brandenburg, just on the outskirts of Berlin, in a place called Templin. It's called El Dorado, which is obviously the um, golden city in this mythological place. And it is really this mythological, idealized image of the Wild West, even though they call it a quote-unquote authentic wild west experience so i just wanted to go there but then i looked at their site and their instagram account and i was like oh i don't really want to give my money to these people because their instagram account is first of all it's aesthetically displeasing to the highest degree yeah it's terrible branding and secondly, it's, it's just got cliches all over the place. So this idea of this noble Indian, the idea of these cowboys, the, like the very white, all of them, of course, sorry. No, I'm sorry. The first thing I noticed when I was looking yeah. at it was the references to the Confederate States. They have Confederate soldiers, they have the Confederate flag. We're looking at a post right now that says Civil War Army Camp, and half of it is the American flag, half of it is the Confederate flag, which is also historically wrong, because that's not the flag used during the Civil War. It'd be the Union flag, which is different, because it says all 50 states. Yeah. Wrong. Historically wrong. Also, using the Confederate flag for anything is so deeply offensive and wrong, because it's still today in modern-day America used by racist people in the mm -hmm. south exactly. who still cling on to the civil war yeah. and also uh, aside from racism there's blatant sexism like there's this picture of a blonde woman in a cowboy hat and hot pants and uh, just kind of in front of a dodge but she looks like she's I think she's trying grinding. to twerk I think that's what's ah, happening okay. I think she's twerking in front of a the dodge, dodge. strange so I never went there but then it got me asking the question like why on earth is there this Wild West theme park in Brandenburg? It's a bit random. And then I realised that the Germans are obsessed with the Wild West. I never knew this. I never knew about Karl May, who he is the best-selling German author worldwide. He sold over 200 million copies and has been translated into 33 languages. He died in 1912 and he just put out these westerns, you know, one after the next, with amazing speed. In Germany, I think he's more read than Thomas Mann. Yeah, I should say, I've never read one of his novels, mm -hmm. but as someone who's grown up partially in Germany, he's in my consciousness. Like, yeah. I, I I was aware of him without having ever, mm -hmm. like, my, I don't think my parents read his books, that he wasn't in our household, and yet I knew of him. And they made a lot of films, both, mm -hmm. both East and West Germany after the war started making all his books into films. So then I started reading about Karl May, and what's really interesting about him was that, well, he was a con artist and a thief and a liar. He was in jail, in and out of jail for a lot of his life before he became a best-selling author. And he said that he had been to the US and a lot of his books were based on his own experience, but it was all a lie. So he had made up an entire vision and world 
of the Wild West based on kind of nothing, just his own fantasy. And this then, this fantasy is what exists in the German collective consciousness, just that one man made up. And later, even you know, after he had become famous and traveling Native American tribes would come and visit Europe, he would then call them liars or outcasts from their tribes because he was probably insecure about the fact that he had said that he could speak all these languages and that he knew these tribes intimately and, uh, you know, coming face to face with actual real Native Americans probably threatened him in some way. So an interesting character all around. The German image of Native Americans and cowboys or Indians and cowboys became its completely its own thing based on nothing, really. Yeah, the Germans adopted this idea of the Indians and the cowboys. They started thinking about their own situation in terms of cowboys and Indians. Uh, in East Germany, the cowboys were seen as the bad guys because they were this capitalistic colonizing force, whereas the Indians were seen as really like noble, connected to nature people. And then later on, the Indians became associated with the anti-nuclear movement, with the green movement, with this idea of being connected with nature. I remember that in Germany, when you're a kid and you get hurt, in order to like tell you like hey, to toughen up, you would say, hey, an Indiana can schmerz, which means an Indian knows no pain. Stop crying. Come on, toughen up. Yeah. It's crazy. And do they still say that today? Yeah, I think I've heard someone say it before. Mm -hmm. You still so, say it, yeah. It's interesting because I think the Germans are still stuck in this Karl May portrayal of Indians and cowboys and have not moved on from that or tried to reckon with it or tried to think really about what is culturally appropriate and what is not. Because this is not, there are no Native Americans here really. I mean, I guess there were some who stayed, you know, after the war, after the Second World War as part of the army. It's not an integral part of German history like in the US where that was the native population. So maybe they never needed to reckon with it or develop their attitudes in any way or come to terms with the fact that it's odd. <laughs> you know, I think almost sometimes people don't think it's real. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. they're so far removed from this world that it almost feels like it was just made up. I don't know yeah. how to explain that in any better way. Mm -hmm. So in 2014, there was a controversy concerning the Karl May Museum in Radlboil. It's a small East German town. So they have a lot of Native American objects and artifacts, including a collection of Native American scalps. And one of the a tribe asked for these scalps back so that they could bury them in accordance to their culture and the museum flat out refused and they didn't really see a problem with this which is <laughs> it's mind-blowing mind <laughs> it's mind-boggling the fact that they have the audacity feel like they can justify and defend keeping these scalps so the argument of the museum is strangely that the scalps have a memorial character to a past when white settlers and trappers did not think anything of human rights and so their job as a museum is just to kind of preserve them to point at this whereas obviously for the Native Americans who are trying to reclaim them they're saying that this is a serious emotional and spiritual issue and that they believe in being stewards of all of their ancestors 
It's also a very funny thing that she refers to white settlers and trappers here, which is correct. It was white colonizers. But then the image that they represent of these cowboys, which we now know from our discussion before, were not always white. So there's even a historical inaccuracy mm. in the arguments mm. and in what they're portraying. Yes. But I guess none of this is And they're also accurate. trying to portray everything. They're trying to portray white history first and foremost. Mm -hmm. and yeah, this is the history of how white settlers were not conscious of human rights issues such as this. But they're still continuing this tradition. The whole thing is just strange. And I feel like the discourse would be very different in the U.S., and apart from the Karl May Museum, they also have a Karl May festival. And there's a brilliant, brilliant article in the New Yorker called Wild West Germany by Rivka Galschen. And um, she talks about the Karl May festivals in Germany. And I'll quote from her because it's it just highlights how complex this relationship has become between Germany and the story of cowboys and Indians. It has been said of the Karl May festivals that they are an expression of suppressed homosexual longings, and it has been said that they are a working through of the trauma of the Nuremberg trials. It has been said that they tap into fascist nationalist sentiments, that they provide a positive blueprint for dealing with the other, that they don't provide a positive blueprint for dealing with the other. It has been said that they are an escape from the troubling ethnic tensions of Germany today. This is all probably true. Well, this really makes me think of Neshuda's Manitou, which is mm -hmm. a parody movie of the Vinitu books, that, or Vinitu movies, I guess, that mm -hmm. came out in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And one of the running jokes in the movie is, mm -hmm. is that all of the Native American characters are Bavarian and speak with a Bavarian accent. Oh, but that's weird because when stuff is dubbed here in German and there are the Southerners, like the Texans, for example, they are giving Bavarian accents. Because mm. the Bavarians are thought of like the black sheep of Germany. Like the, they drink a lot of beer and they're kind of rowdy, but they're weirdly <laughs> like Catholic at the same time. So we sort of fulfill that role within, I'm from Bavaria, should add. But yeah, so this movie came out mm. and it was so successful. It did so well. I remember watching it in the movie theater and I remember not thinking anything about, they were white people playing Native Americans. Mm. Didn't even register with me back then. I was also like 10. Mm. But it's probably one of the highest grossing films in like the last 20 years in Germany, or at least definitely in Bavaria. Like it did so well. Mm. And, and nobody's gone back to revise no. how it's looked at and all that kind of stuff. In hindsight, it's so offensive. I mean, I find that Germany lags behind when it comes to discourse around what is culturally appropriate or sensitive mm -hmm. and all these things. And that's probably because they have not had as much diversity in this country. It's pretty, pretty homogenous um, mm -hmm. as a country. And yes, they have a sensitivity when it comes to issues of the Holocaust and Jewish people. But apart from that, it's very unsophisticated. Yeah, well, I mean, like, America was, you know, as a country, was found on stolen land. Then they had slavery. They have all of these different ethnic groups and racial groups within their country now. So they sort of have to have these conversations where Germany hasn't had anything like that. Mm -hmm. They had the Gastarbeiter from Turkey, the Turkish guest workers. Mm -hmm. But that's about it. 
And I think that these conversations are going to come within the next couple of years because, you know, with the refugee crisis that we had a couple of years ago and as the country gets more diverse, we're going to have to start to have these conversations. And it's about time. Mm-hmm. We're like 20 years behind everyone else having these conversations. Yeah. And I think that say what you want about America. I know there's a lot wrong with that country, but they've always been good at having national discourse around subjects around like gender race or sexuality and i know that it's like very specific media outlets mostly liberal outlets driving these conversations but at least they're having them on a national scale Mm -hmm. there's a language with which to discuss this yes yeah and true i'm sure that it's happening in certain academic circles but i just think in the mainstream german world nobody's even started to have these conversations especially not when it comes to race If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us. I am at Madhvi Ramani. And I am at Rina underscore Grobe underscore. You will find links to our Twitter and Instagrams in the show notes, as well as links to all the content we have discussed this week. Until next time, thank you for listening. Goodbye.